And for our second message today, we have a sermon from Mr. Steve Andrews entitled, Samson, a Superhero for Israel. Greetings, brethren. It's uh, good to be here today on uh, the Sabbath when it's nice and warm outside. Oh, it was so miserably cold. We had to work a little bit out in that weather, and oh, every time I got out there, I just felt like I was going to freeze just walking out into that cold. When I was a kid, uh, a little kid, it was quite a few years ago, (laughs) Um, it was interesting that uh, I would... uh, find these pop bottles around. They used to charge you, uh, I can't remember what it was, a couple cents or five cents or something, a bottle, pop bottle, and you had to return them. Well, that was uh, something that kids could do. They could go out, they could search around, and they could find pop bottles and, and uh, turn them in for, for cash. And uh, Well, I took my cash, and I spent it on comic books. Um, you know, back then, 15, 20, 25 cents was a was a whole comic book, and you could enjoy <clears throat> superheroes, Superman, and all of those. And I don't know. I think kids today must have to take out a loan for a super, you know, for for a comic book. I've looked at those things. I can't believe they're charging you know two, three dollars for a comic book. That's unbelievable. It's interesting that in the Bible. God made a superhero for Israel. Very interesting that God can, has that power to do that. If he wants to, he can make a superhero. And he did in the book of Judges. Judges is a very interesting book. Um, kind of, a, it seems like a somewhat of a disconnect, and yet in reality, Judges is God ruling over his people by himself, and making those decisions through those that he chose to rule as a judge, which is kind of very interesting. When he brought them in to the land, the promised land, they didn't do exactly like he, would, he wanted them to. And in the second chapter of the book of Judges, I'm going to read this whole ch- second chapter because it lays the groundwork for all of what he was doing in that promised land and the kind of nature and attitude that those people who were God's people had towards him, which is in a way very, very sad, and yet understanding human nature as we do and what it says in the Bible that we are, you know, without God's Holy Spirit, we're at enmity against God. So in this second chapter, it says, And the angel of the Lord came, uh, came up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, I made you to go up out of Egypt and have brought you to the land which I swore to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. That's a promise. God is a covenant keeper. And you shall make no league with the inhabitants of this land. You shall throw down their altars but you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Wherefore I also said, 
I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall be as thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare to you. And it came to pass when the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the children of Israel that the people lifted up their voice and wept. I think they understood what God had just said to them. And they called the name of that place Bochum, and they sacrificed there to the Lord. And when Joshua had let the people go, the children of Israel went every man to his inheritance to possess the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. So they, they spread the word. They, they were there. They, they, they gave them confidence. And Joshua and the son of Nun and the servant of the Lord died, being 110 years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in Timnath, Heres, in the Mount of Ephraim, on the north side of the hill, of, of the hill Gaash. And also all the generation were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. And it's interesting, when you lose sight of the truth, you go back into the world and you serve the worldly things. Now, the Bible says these are examples for us. As we go back and read them, we, we have to take into account that they tell us something about human nature and about being away from God and about allowing the world to come into our life. And they allowed Balaam, false worship. They forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt, followed other gods, of the gods of the people who were around about them, bowed themselves to them, provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord, served Balaam, Ashtaroth. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And he delivered them into the hands of the spoilers that spoiled them. He sold them into the hand of their enemies round about, so that they could not any longer stand before their enemies. Wherever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil. And the Lord had said, as the Lord had sworn to them, that they were greatly distressed. Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges, which delivered them out of the hand of those that spoiled them. So whenever they came back to God, and they actually got down and they begged God and weeped before God, he remembered them, and he sent those that could relieve them from this distress. And yet they would not hearken to their judges, but they went a-whoring after their other gods and bowed themselves to them. They turned quickly out of the way which their fathers walked in, obeying the commandments of the Lord, but they did, did not so. And the Lord raised them up, judges, then the Lord uh, was with the judge and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For it repented the Lord because of their groanings by the reason of them that were oppressed, uh, that oppressed them and vexed them. And it came to pass when the judge was dead that they returned and corrupted themselves more than their fathers in following other gods to serve them and bow down to them. They ceased not from their own doings nor from their stubborn way. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he said, Because that this people has transgressed my covenant, which I commanded their fathers, and have not hearkened to my voice, I also will not hereafter drive out any from before them of the nations which Joshua left, 
when he died. That through them I may prove Israel whether they will keep the way of the Lord to walk therein as their fathers did um, keep it or not. Therefore the Lord left those nations without deriving them out hastily, neither delivered he them into the hand of Joshua. And so God used this situation to prove Israel, to, um, to bring them to their knees. And so we come to Judges, the 13th chapter. I'm going to relate a lot of this because it's, uh, you know, there's three chapters here and that's be a lot of reading. And it's kind of an interesting story. I think all of us have grown up with, you know, if I put a P at the end of Samson, you'll have to forgive me. I've uh, had to overcome that this morning. <laughs> As I was rereading this, I noticed that it was Samson, Samson, not Samson, which, you know, probably all of us have made that little mistake over the, over the time. It's interesting here that it says in, verse, in the chapter 13, verse 1, the children of Israel did evil against the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines. Forty years. Forty years they were oppressed. And there was, a, <clears throat> there was a certain man of Zorah, the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and bore not. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said, Behold, now you are barren and bear not, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Now therefore beware, I pray you, and drink no wine, nor strong drink, and eat not any unclean thing. Interesting that he had to remind her not to eat any unclean thing. It's like the commandments of God kind of got forgotten a lot. Of, and so he had to remind them. And of course this was a very special thing that, that God was doing. Extremely special. For lo, you shall conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come on his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. So he was going to raise this child from the womb to bring them out of this 40 years of oppression under the Philistines. And, and of course the, the angel talked to both the mother and the father and was very cordial and told them all of the things that they wanted to know and Beginning in verse uh, 24 and 25, And the woman bore a son, called his name Samson. And the child grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move him at times in the camp of Dan between Zorah and Eshtal. Interesting that uh, the power of that Holy Spirit began to move and, and direct him. In, in his life. In chapter 14, it's almost like there's two things in this man's mind. First of all, he goes after a Philistine for a wife. The enemy. The enemy. <laughs> the one that he's out to, you know, to, to, to bring the, uh, the oppression away from. So he goes out and he sees this woman and he says, Mom and Dad, I want this lady. Get her for me. 
I guess that was the custom at the time. And so they argued, come on now, this is a Philistine woman. You don't want this woman. And he says, no, I want this woman. And so consequently, he ended up marrying this lady. And his grief and trials and tribulations began from there to the end of his life. It's interesting that one of the first things he did to, to, for his strength that God gave him was he had such power. He was able to fight a lion and kill that lion with his bare hands, just ripped it apart with his bare hands and left it there. And then when he came back, it was interesting that there was a beehive inside of that lion. And so he forms a riddle because the wife he marries, there's also a bunch of companions there. They're all Philistines. He's all in the, he's all in the enemy camp. So he forms this riddle because he wants something from them. And Samson said to them in verse 12, I will now put forth a riddle to you, if you can certainly declare it, it with uh, it, it me within the seven days of the feast and find it out, then I will give you 30 sheets and 30 changes of garments. He says, but if you cannot declare it, then shall you give me 30 sheets and 30 changes of garments. And they said to him, put forth the riddle that we may hear it. And he said to them, out of the eater came forth meat. And out of the strong came forth sweetness, and they could not in three days expound the riddle. So this was chapter 14, 12, 13, and 14. Well, <laughs> the wife cries, moans, cries some more, because she's goaded by those companions. Find out. Find out. I want to know. We've got to find out. We have to find out before this these seven days are up before the feast is over with. Find out. So she cries and cries. And finally, finally, Samson gives up. And he reveals the riddle. And they, when he reveals the riddle, he has to, and she reveals, uh, he, and she reveals it to the companions and then they reveal it to, back to Samson. And so he, feels obligated that he has to go out and pay the, bet, uh, pay the debt, pay the, the bet that he made. Well, in verses 18 through 19, the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, what is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you had not found out my riddle. It's kind of an interesting way to, to, to put it. <laughs> and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he went down to Eshkelon and slew 30 men of them and took their spoil and gave a change of garments to them and expounded the riddle. And his anger was kindled, and he went up to his father's house, but Samson's wife was given to his companion, whom he had used, as, who was his friend. He was... He was in a heap of trouble um, from this particular time all the way through his life. In chapter 15, 
than because his wife was given to one of his companions. <laughs> he goes out, he finds this out, he goes out, he's very angry, and he catches 300 foxes. Now, how would you catch 300 foxes? Anybody have any idea how you would run out and catch 300 foxes? <laughs> and he ties 150, uh, two of them together each, so that makes 150 different uh, groups. And he lets them go because of his wife being given to one of the companions, because of his anger, because of all this, he goes out and he lets them go through the corn. He lets them go through the corn. He uh, puts firebrands on the back end of them so they're all on fire. And he goes through the corn, he goes through the vineyards, he goes through the olives, and he burns up all of this Philistine's plants. Well, they're mad and they're upset, so they kill his wife and the father-in-law after that. <laughs> well, it says that they shouldn't have done that because he turns around and he kills them hip and thigh. And he goes through the whole group of them and slaughters. And it's assumed that he took care of all the companions that he had. No telling how many he slaughtered after that situation. <laughs> well, the Philistines go to, the, to um, some of the leaders in, in Judah and they began to rule over them and, uh, you know. And so the tribe of Judah decides they're going to take 3,000 men up to see Samson. 3,000 men. They figure that might be enough to, to get him um, to go down to see the Philistines. He says, I'll go down there, but I don't want you to, to come against me. In other words, he didn't want them to fight against him because he, might, he, he was not allowed to, to fight against his own people. So they put him in these new ropes, and they took him to the Philistines. And, of course, that didn't hold him a bit. It was like, you know, just like uh, putting... Uh, very soft stuff on him because he could break them very, very easily. Now in chapter 15 and beginning of verse 14. And when he came to Lehi, the Philistines shouted against him because he was all bound up. He looked like he was very secure when he came there. He looked like he was in, in good hands. So they shouted against him and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him and the cords that were up on his hands or on his arms became as flax that was burned with fire, and his bands loosed from off his hands. And he found a new jawbone of an ass, and put forth his hand, and took it, and slew a thousand men therewith. I am sure these men probably did not come at him without swords. I'm sure these men were probably very um, adept at battle. The power of Samson was so great that he could just take this jawbone, and God, of course, God's power and protection was on him, 
And he was so strong and so powerful that he just slew a thousand men. Now with all that energy and all that power dissipated, what do you think that he asked for? More food? No, he says, I'm thirsty. I've killed all these people. I need some water. And so he says here at the end, God gives him some water out of this, out of this um, jawbone. So he says, I'm going I'm to go ahead and read the rest of this here. He, um, and Samson said, with the jawbone of an ass, heaps upon heaps, with the jaw of, of an ass have I slain a thousand men. And it came to pass when he had made an end of speaking that he cast away the jawbone out of his hand and he called that place Ramath-Lehi, the place of the jawbone. And he swore, th and he was sore thirsty and called the Lord and said, You have given this great deliverance into the hand of your servant. Now shall I die for the thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised? But God split a hollow place that was in the jaw and there came water from it. And when he had drunk, his spirit came again, and he revived. Wherefore he called the name thereof Enhakkari, which is the Lehi to this day. And he judged Israel in that day, in the days of the Philistines, 20 years. So he was a judge for 20 years. Samson truly did have a weakness. Maybe it was because of all this power and strength that he had. But he did seem to have uh, a great deal of male vitality. Unfortunately, he used it in the wrong way. And in chapter 16, the first place that he goes to is a harlot's house. And he stays there, interestingly, until midnight. And they find out that he's there and there. They want to capture him. They want to take him... Uh, alive and capture him. Well, about midnight, he decides that he's going to leave. Instead of leaving out the door and just walking away, he literally, literally picks the door up and all the bars and all of the, uh, and everything is there and just rips the whole thing out, picks it up, puts it on his shoulders and walks out. Now you can imagine where all these guys are looking at. I don't think I want to mess with this guy. <laughs> I'm not going to mess with him at all. His power was so strong. It was amazing. And if you reread re the story, um, there wasn't anything he couldn't, as far as the physical power that he had, that he couldn't do. And when the Spirit of the Lord came on him, he, he could slaughter thousands. He was so powerful, so strong. Well, because, because of his weakness, his weakness, he meets Philist the Philistine's Matahari. Her name was Delilah. And she must have been something else. She must have been one of the most beautiful Philistine women that there was. And he was so attracted to her so attracted to her and the first thing she starts doing after they come together is she starts asking him where do you get your strength because she is a plant from the Philistines 
Why doesn't he know? Why doesn't he come to understand that this is what's going on? Why is he doing this? <laughs> Maybe he understood to some degree that this was what he had to do to finish out what God had sent him to do. I don't know. It does seem very strange that he is in the hands of this woman who is, obviously he knows that she's asking him certain things that's going to get him into to deep trouble. And so for three different things, three different things, he tells her, they find out, well, that isn't where he gets his strength. He doesn't get his strength from being, you know, tied up with this or his hair braided this way or, or, or some particular thing. He doesn't get his strength from that. Well, she keeps after him and keeps after him and keeps after him. Keeps badgering him, pushing him. And finally he gives in. Finally he gives in. Let's begin in verse 20. He um, gets his haircut, a special haircut from Delilah. And from there on, his life changed. And she said, The Philistines be upon you, Samson. And he woke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times before and shake myself. And he knew not the Lord was departed from him. Maybe he just thought that there really wasn't anything after 20 years of, of being a judge. Maybe he didn't think that cutting his hair was going to be a problem. But it definitely was. But the Philistines took him, put out his eyes, brought him down to Gaza, and bound him with fetters of brass. And he did grind in the prison house. So they put him on the grinding wheel like a horse. He lost all of his strength. However, the hair of his head began to grow again after he had shaved, after they'd shaved. You know, after he was shaved, hair does grow back. Maybe they forgot. Then the lords of the Philistines gathered them together for an offer, uh, to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, to Dagon the fish god, to Dagon the fish god, and to rejoice. For they said, Our God has delivered Samson our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God, for they, they said, Our God has delivered into our hands our enemy and the destroyer of our country, which slew many of us. So they realized how powerful Samson was and what he had done to their country. And it came to pass when their hearts were merry that they, they said, Call for Samson, that he may make us sport. And they called for Samson out of the prison house and made them sport. And they set him between the pillars. Whoops, that was a big mistake. <laughs> the man had long hair. His power was returning, and they set him between the pillars of this monstrous building. And Samson said to the lad that held him by the hand, Allow me that I may feel, feel the pillars were upon the house stands, that I may lean upon them. Now the house was full of men and women, and all the lords of the Philistines 
were there, and there were upon the roof about 3,000 men and women that beheld while Samson made sport. So there was a lot of people at that time. And maybe that's how it all came back to this point. And that was how God was going to get his revenge on them through Samson. And Samson called the Lord. He said, O Lord God, remember me, I pray you. Strengthen me, I pray you, only this once, O God, that I may be at once avenge the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars upon which the house stood and on which it bore up of one with his right hand and the other with his left. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed himself with all his might. And the house fell upon the lords and upon the, all the people that were therein. So the dead which he slew at his death were more than they which he slew in all of his life. They had all gathered to see this strong man and to make sport of him. And at the end, God, through the power that he gave him, wrecked this revenge upon the Philistines. Then his brethren and all the house of his father came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Ishtoel in the burying place of Manoah, his father. And it says he judged Israel for 20 years. He was a mighty man, a man blessed with God's power and spirit for a particular time. And it's interesting, though, that God's desire is still to have a theocratic kingdom. His desire is still to rule over people. And we believe that. We know that Jesus came and preached the kingdom of God. And we know the day is coming when there are going to be a great number of true superheroes that are going to walk this earth. I like to go to Isaiah, the second chapter, just about every time because I want to remind all of us what our hope and what, our, what we look forward to. No matter how bad the world gets, no matter how bad things look in the, in the world that we live in today, understand that the kingdom of God, His prophecies and those things are going to come to pass, and we are going to have a part in it. Come to pass in, in chapter 2 of Isaiah, verse 2, and it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall it be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow into it. And many people shall go and say, Come you, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. They're coming a day when all of mankind is going to be under that umbrella, the umbrella of the power of God and of his saints and of his king, Jesus Christ. He shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks and nations shall not lift up sword against nation neither shall they learn war anymore. And in Revelation, the first chapter, we find that we, we shall have a part in that. 
We shall be a part of those superheroes that will bring about and be a part of that kingdom. Revelation 1, verses 5 and 6, it says, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, to him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us kings and priests to God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I love those words. I love what the Bible promises us. We can look at these superheroes. We can look at the power of Samson, what God did through him. We have a greater and more profound position and have the potential to do so much more. Samson was only given the responsibility of just these Philistines in this one part of Israel at that time, at that particular time, and he died. We have a tremendous hope because we have the potential for eternal life and rulership over those nations and rulership forever and ever and whatever Christ and God the Father have for us. In chapter 5, it says also in 9 and 10, just to reiterate the same, same thought, and they sung a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For you were slain, and you have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and have made us to our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. The power that God is going to give us to reign on the earth. We'll be able to, to do superhuman things. Because we'll be spirit beings, not physical beings. We won't have the same proclivities that Samson had. Let's, let's look and see what Jesus says about that time. Let's look at Matthew, the 22nd chapter. Because we'll be spirit beings, there'll be a, a different life that we will be leading, a different, uh, a different body that we'll be given, a different power that we will have. In Matthew, the 22nd chapter, or, yeah, Matthew 22, beginning in verse 24. Say, Master, Moses said, If a man die, having no children, his brother shall marry his wife, and raise up seed to his brother. Now there were with us seven brethren, and the first, when he had married a wife, deceased, and having no issue, left his wife to his brother. Likewise, the second also, and the third to the seventh. And the last, all the women died also. Therefore, and they understood, and then they came to him, you know, with this thing. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife shall, shall she be of the seven? For they all had her. Yeah. And Jesus answered and said to them, Boy, you do err, not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given a marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. We will be holy to God. We will be His children. We will be spirit beings. But as touching the resurrection of the dead, have you not read that which is spoken uh, to you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob? God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And that day, 
he is looking forward to it. He's looking forward to us being in that kingdom. He's looking for uh, that day for all of his children to rule out of Jerusalem and to bring about peace upon the earth. In 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, we find just a few verses. I'm not going to read all of them here. Beginning in verse 50. Now thus I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither does corruption inherit incorruption. We understand because of our physical human nature and the proclivities to sin that there needs to be a change. The Bible is very specific about that. We will be changed. We will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. We'll be changed from this corruptible body that gets old, gets weary, eventually, you know, gets buried because we die. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, this mortal must put on immortality. So then when the corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have been put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying which is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. See, we won't be dying anymore. Into the kingdom of God, we will have the power to do what needs to be done on this earth, but we will also do it in a way that God will show us how to do it. We will do it as teachers, as instructors, and then if we have to, we will also correct with a rod of iron if we have to. But we will give this world what God has wanted all along, which is the peace and the harmony and his kingdom. The world will have superheroes, and that'll be you and I, who will point to the Father in Christ. That'll be part of our job, and there will be a theocratic government, in other words, the kingdom of God, and it will bring true peace to this earth. It won't be, if, you know, like it says in the Bible, if those kind of people decide that they don't want to obey, then we have the power to keep it from raining, you know, or do whatever it needs to be done to bring them you know, to God's way. We will have that super power in the kingdom that God is going to bring to this earth. And I want us all to be a part of it, to look forward to that day. It's a tremendous thing we have to look forward to. Be strong, no matter what situation in this, in this world is.